This is episode eight of the Wash Talk podcast with Gabrielle Halcrow of SNV. Welcome to the Wash Talk podcast series from IRC. My name is Andy Narakot and this is the podcast where we open up the discussion on what the wash sector needs to do to achieve the sustainable development goals. We'll be interviewing people from all over the world, from policymakers and human rights activists, to economists and water service providers, to get us all moving closer to the goals we're striving for. Sustainable Development Goals 6. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get started. Addressing the needs of women and girls is explicitly mentioned in the Sustainable Development Goals. And it's a no-brainer. Research has shown that encouraging women to get meaningfully involved in WASH initiatives improves their sustainability. But how and what approaches have had the most success? I am tapping into the vast knowledge of Gabrielle Halcro today, who is joining us from SMV in Australia. With gender such a central focus of the SDGs, all practitioners need to be aware of the latest research to apply in their context. But before we dive in, make sure you head over to ircwash.org forward slash wash talk for the summary of this episode and links to further resources within the IRC library and beyond. So without any further ado, let's jump into this episode with Gabrielle Halcrow. Hello everyone. Today I'm talking with Gabrielle Halcrow about gender equality in rural sanitation. Gabrielle is with SNV in Australia as their program coordinator for the Sustainable Sanitation and Hygiene for All program in Asia. She's also worked in IWDA, International Women's Development Agency. So she's got a long background in the wash sector and some really deep experience in addressing gender equality. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with her um, and dig into this really important issue. So Gabrielle, welcome onto the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So as we all know, there's an explicit mention of women and girls in SDG 6 related to sanitation. As it says, paying special attention to the needs of women and girls. So it's very plain and simple. And this is not a surprise to anyone, I think, because, you know, sanitation issues disproportionately affect women and girls because of menstrual hygiene management, maternal health, but also because of women face particular risks such as sexual assault. So now if I could start with your experiences around gender and rural sanitation, can you explain how you're ensuring that in your programs that that women and girls are not sidelined in in your approaches to rural sanitation? Oh, thank you. I think in terms of ensuring women and girls within SMV, um, particularly, I think it's helpful to start by using uh, rights-based languages or approaches. So recognising um, not only the SDGs, but that access to sanitation and hygiene, equality, ending discrimination, they're all um, human rights or principles that sit behind them. So you're starting from a point of it's not just a good thing to do, it's actually about um about a basic fundamental agreement that these are, are people's rights. So within um, SMB's Real Sanitation and Hygiene Program in Asia, we we approach it from multiple different angles. So it's in terms of the, the specific issues facing women and girls, they are very context-specific. So one of the first things is to have a good grounding in understanding your context. So perhaps it's about undertaking some formative research to understand what is going on, what are the barriers, what are the opportunities to, to that you can work with, and then use these to inform your approaches, use them to inform the way you're working with your partners on these issues. 
Another one is to use the data that we have. We often have a lot of data already and hopefully it is disaggregated and use that to try and understand the issues or trends that are coming through. So, for example, in our rural sanitation program, um, when we look at across countries, we can see that um, single female-headed households in particular have a higher risk of being left behind in access to sanitation and hygiene. And once you can see that in your data, um, you can then use it to have conversations with your government partners or teams about why that is and what can we do to improve that. Another thing is about thinking about considerations across all the different ways that you work on these programs. In sanitation, we do a lot of demand creation activities, be it through CLTS or other things. So what are you doing to make sure that you're actually reaching everyone and perhaps not just reaching the women because at the community level we often see a higher number of women coming to those meetings or the triggering events, but then how do you make sure your program goes beyond that and helps the household decision-making processes engage men in those decision-making processes as well? Um, another example is when you're talking about hygiene promotion, recognising that men have hygiene behaviours and practices and trying not to reinforce um, any existing gender stereotypes or roles through your communications materials or your advocacy work. Um, moving beyond sort of the program activities, looking at what you can do in a sort of targeted way, so within the decision-making forums at the sector groups, at the national, sub-national level, looking at um, how, who is coming to those meetings, what is the quality of that participation and what influence is there on the decision-makings, looking at um, training workshops, for example, in um, Mason's training and, and asking the question around who is who is benefiting having these opportunities, who's not and what can we do about that. So being really conscious when you're having a look at what the program activities are doing and who isn't, isn't um, participating and having the, the opportunity and the right to participate. Um, definitely there is a lot to be done around working with the decision makers and sensitising them and, and making it a, a, a more of a, a consensus as to why this is an important issue and what are the benefits um, to supporting um, women and girls to, to be playing a more active role in how we can better meet their needs. And perhaps there's a bit of advocacy effort around that is needed to, to get that support um, built through. And then I think finally it's really important within the organisations yourselves, so, so within SMVs, that we walk the talk, that we are supporting women in leadership and in management, in WASH programming and in non-traditional roles, more technical roles, for example, in the at the field level, and also supporting our male staff members in our teams to be playing really active roles and speaking positively about this so we can strengthen the capacities and we can really um, walk the talk into what our, our values and beliefs are. Great. I think there's some really practical advice there, both, you know, the, the very context on the program level, but also in sector, uh, at sector level, but also within the organisations doing the work. I mean, what's some of the, um, just so people are aware, you know, what's some of those pushbacks and challenges you get from maybe from those within existing communities you know you're pushing against traditions perhaps uh those within the the at the sector level some of the barriers that you face and you you know you're hitting up a, against a brick wall and maybe also as you go into some of those organizational challenges as well can you maybe give one or two examples about just so people are forewarned and forearmed 
<laughs> I think I think some of it is around when we talk about access to sanitation and hygiene. The the argument can can come back. Well, that is the priority. We're, we're not a gender program. Um, so I, I think it's about making that link between understanding that yes, well, um, sanitation hygiene programs could really can meet those practical needs in terms of women's access to sanitation and hygiene, menstrual hygiene in the household and beyond. But you can also have the opportunity to every program has a, a gendered outcome. So if we're intentional, we can have a positive outcome. So we're not going to have a neutral impact. So let's let's go into this recognizing that we can actually do a little bit more than just the practical needs in sanitation and hygiene programs. And these are the examples of the strategic outcomes that we can have if we really support women in leadership roles, if we give those opportunities for training within our sanitation supply work, we're also creating an opportunity for a woman to have an economic benefit that perhaps she didn't have before. So really taking the, the conversation from saying, yes, the practical needs are essential and that is, you know, what is behind um, the work that we're doing. But we really can make that next step and we are going to have an outcome. So let's let's have a consciously positive gender outcome in our work. Within the community levels, um, sort of traditionally water and sanitation is something that you know it, it is often acceptable for women to be playing roles in it's often seen as their domain domain even in um in many communities yeah. um and so you see a lot of you, you can get some some acceptance and traction at that level but the challenge really is when you try and take it beyond the community level so when you're starting to talk about decision making mm. um, beyond community committees but what are we doing about the district level and the national level where increasingly we have a higher number of males in many contexts particularly in asia where i work so that is where you, you need to to basically be using the opportunities that you have in terms of um the you know, the successful leadership roles, the sanitation champions that you can have at the community level, but you can't stop there. You need to be making sure these efforts are also coming out into these broader public domains. And that that is that to me is where we need to be doing much more work at the moment. And then behind that is how can we get that institutionalised? How can we get that recognised in in the policies and strategies and ways of working for the government partners that we work with? Because mm. that's actually, I've seen, I think uh, in Kenya or somewhere else, they actually put in policy that says that certain number of women have to hold certain leadership roles within within the at the district level and, and others. I mean, is, that's an example about putting it within policy. Do you know if that if that has worked in in other areas, or is that? Uh, I, I yeah, I mean, I think that's that they are all positive things um, and quota systems. But as always, it is the walking the talk. So in, in Nepal, for example, um, they had really, really strong leadership from the, from the national level for the master plans and the strategies talking about quotas and numbers of women on decision-making committees um, at the at the sub-national levels. But how you actually operationalise that yeah. is, an, is another question. And there's a lot of work to be done around um Within that example, in terms of firstly getting the the district and the sub district staff even aware of those policies, and then talking through and working through, well, well, how do we do that? How do we now that we have that directive to make the space? Why do we have that directive? What are the benefits of it? And when we are um, providing that space, how do we actually help women's 
groups or the women themselves make the most of that space? How can we prepare them, build up their confidence um, and make it relevant for them so we can actually see them not only participate but also meaningfully influence the decisions that are being made? Mm. Um, If we could just maybe move on to the SDGs because, you know, this is obviously needs to be monitored if it's to be achieved or even to know, you know, where everyone is, what the existing status quo is. I mean, but I think the challenge is most data is not disaggregated, right? Most examples are extremely localized and not scaled. So in your view, what needs to be done to have those relevant inclusion monitoring systems at the country level? I think um, I think you I think you're right. There is a lot of disparate examples of it, um, but I would say even when we do collect the data, when we do have it available, we're not always using it. Um, and so a big part about that is the buy-in at the national level um, and the work you can do in terms of maybe advocacy or supporting um, the decision makers not only use the data um, and the tools and the approaches that we already have, but also. Um, then looking at what more data do we need to know. So I think half the battle is is even, or half the challenge is even in using the information that we already have. Um, so I think there was uh, some interesting work from ISF which tried to document the gender outcomes that we see for water and sanitation. And we saw a lot that was coming from the, the community level and some from the household level, because that's often how we report on in terms of change in WASH. But um, looking for examples of data that was being monitored in those broader public domains and at the national level, that, that is where we've got gaps. So I think a big step is firstly using the data we have to try and tell us what is going on and using that to influence decision makers and then looking at how we can make sure we're also monitoring um, what is happening perhaps more in that enabling environment um, beyond what we are already collecting at community level. Mm. Well, how just maybe pushing a bit further on that, how to get government and other partners to actually build in those into their monitoring frameworks? Yeah, getting it built in, getting it also budgeted and getting the actual implementation then monitored. Um, within the example we had within Asia in Bhutan, we did a, a process of formative research to try and understand who's being left behind um, and what are the challenges and barriers to to the people who are potentially um, disadvantaged. And what came through very strongly was the female-headed households um, were the most likely to to face challenges in access to sanitation and hygiene. And that um, research was used with decision makers um, in the policy formulation and then we tried to get that recognised Um, And it is reflected in the policy and the national strategy. And then as they're formulating the indicators to monitor the progress of national strategies, there then becomes an added hook to try and get these things picked up in as well. But I I think a lot needs to be done around really getting examples of how you can do it um, and getting uh, the buy-in at the national level to to be willing to invest in prioritising when they have so many different priorities that they're trying to respond to. So making it real, I guess. Yeah, just definitely. Um, now, just f- finally, Gabrielle, if I think it's helpful to like to do a brief sort of visioning visioning exercise. What is the world that we are trying to achieve here? That, in your personal view, having many many years in the gender equality world, what is the sort of vision that you see 
that we should, we're all working towards? I think the SDGs has helped us give give more of that vision. I think the world is one that when we're no longer talking about progressive realising of these rights, that we actually have these rights and these these mm-hmm. conversations and no longer have moved on where we've actually been able to address the discrimination and we, and participation is meaningful. For me, it would be, as a sanitation practitioner, it would be a world in which women and girls in all their different um, uh, stages in life are able to have access to sanitation and hygiene and that they can do it safely with dignity and all those things that we hope for. And also at school, at work, when they're delivering the children in all these different places, they, they really do need this access. But also seeing that to enable that access, we really need to see change within the strategic elements. So we need to see equality. We need to see that service providers, governments have the policies, have the budgets, and they're proactive in enabling these rights that we've all committed to and that we can monitor them and take into account that there are differences between the priorities and the needs of women, girls, men and boys, um, and we need to work with them and see that they are strengths that we can address um, so we can all move forward together. And I think the SCG's focus is trying to pick that up and its emphasis on leaving no one behind and the way you see gender equality and women's empowerment is really underpinning multiple goals this time. It's um, it's really getting recognised as as being not just an objective but an outcome of many things. Brilliant. Well, that is incredibly upbeat and I'm really excited. But thank you, Gabrielle, for your leadership on this. I, for one, have signed up to your vision, being a father of two girls. I want to see this uh, brought in, into um, reality in within their lifetime for sure. But uh, thank you so much for coming on to the Wash Talk podcast to talk to us about gender equality. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you for having me. And that was Gabrielle Halker of SNV in Australia talking to us about ensuring gender positive outcomes in WASH programs. Thank you to Gabrielle for speaking to us on the WASH Talk podcast from IRC. If you liked it, make sure you share it. The web address is irc.org forward slash WASH Talk. And make sure you add to the discussion by using the hashtag WASH Talk on Twitter or in the comments on Facebook. Don't miss the next episode in a couple of weeks, but until then, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.